The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with Fee Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Hi, Mike Gibson, Nick Curzon coming to you live from ESC 2021. And we are talking about the routine use of pressure wire assessments to uh, impact clinical care, uh, the results of the RIPCORD uh, 2 trial. Nick, talk to us a little bit about why you did what you did and what you did. Well, thanks very much, uh, Michael, for asking me. Um, the RIPCORD 2 trial was designed to test two strategies, which I think have never been tested in this way before. And that was to compare the assessment and management of patients presenting either with stable angina or non-SC elevation MI using just the angiographic appearances alone or by performing systematic FFR assessment using the intracoronary pressure wire for all the major epicardial vessels in patients with even a small degree of coronary disease. Uh, This has never been done in this way, and it certainly hasn't been done at the stage of the diagnostic coronary angiogram. People are very familiar with the impressive results of the effect of FFR assessment in patients who have already been triaged towards multivessel PCI, for example, in, in the FAME study. And this is true also of DEFER and FAME2, which I think are the most impactful FFR randomized trials. It's important to note that in those studies, the patient populations have already been triage towards PCI of one form or another, and the impact of FFR, which was very impressive, um, was based around patients in those circumstances. So what I wanted to do in particular was investigate the use of systematic FFR of all the coronary circulation in patients at the stage where no triage had been undertaken and they were just having a diagnostic angiogram. So... We included uh, patients who were roughly half and half stable and non-ST elevation MI who were undergoing a diagnostic angiogram for clinical reasons. And if they had a lesion of at least 30% in even one coronary vessel, they they could be randomized. 1,100 patients were randomized in 17 uh, centers in the UK. And The primary endpoints were powered. There were two co-primary endpoints that were powered. One was for total hospital costs, um, mainly because one of the biggest reservations I've heard over the years as I've been a proponent of FFR has been it wouldn't be possible to afford to do a pressure wire assessment of every case. And the second co-primary endpoint was quality of life, which included an angina assessment. But of course, the pre-specified secondary endpoints were clinical events like death, MI, uh, unplanned revascularization. So the 1,100 patients were randomized um, in the median number of epicardial vessels that underwent FFR in the FFR group was four. So there was a really profound adherence to the protocol um, by the investigators So median number of four vessels underwent FFR. And as a consequence, the procedure time in the FFR arm was very significantly longer than in the angio alone group, as was the contrast and radiation use. 
Nick, can you explain, you know, four vessels? That must be several main vessels and some side branches. Is that... Yes, yeah. So, so the criteria was once they had uh, fulfilled inclusion and randomization, the instruction was to perform FFR in every epicardial vessel that was of sufficient size that they could be considered for either stenting or grafting, so roughly 2.25 millimetres, regardless of whether there was epicardial disease. And the, the reason we did that is because we were concerned if we didn't include all vessels that there would be some where one person saw diffuse mild disease and another person saw quite severe disease. So we wanted it to be as systematic and comprehensive as possible. So the distribution of coronary disease was roughly 40% uh, had single vessel disease. This is using a 70% angiographic appearance criteria. 20% had double vessel disease and 10% had triple vessel disease. Just under 10% had a left main lesion of 50% or more. And just under 20% had a proximal LAD lesion of 70% or more. Um, so in terms of the primary endpoint, there was no significant difference in total hospital costs at a year. And that included every interaction with the hospital. So the only costs that were not included in that were primary care and drug costs. Did that surprise you, Nick? Were you expecting higher costs or were you expecting lower costs by reducing the number of revast and rehospitalizations? I guess I speculated that the costs would be lower overall in the FFR group. And the reason for that was I was expecting a lot fewer of the patients in the angiogram alone group, um, a lot fewer than in the angiogram alone group, to need more tests. And we did see that uh, just under 15% of the patients in the angiogram alone group, the uh, cardiologists looking after them wanted another test, such as a stress MRI or a stress echo, before they could make their final management plan, compared to less than 2% in the FFR group. So because of that, I did expect the cost to be lower overall in the FFR group, but as it turned out, there was no significant difference. Okay. In, in terms of the other co-primary endpoint, there was no significant difference in quality of life. Perhaps one of the things that might surprise people most about the outcome of this study is that having had the extra tests, the, uh, the, we, we then recorded the final management plan for the populations and there was no overall difference in the distribution of patients needing optimal medical therapy, PCI, or cabbage between the two strategies. Of course, that doesn't mean that there weren't lots of patients within the FFR group who would have had a different individual strategy based on FFR compared to angio alone. And we showed in the first ripcord study, and there have been lots of studies that have shown the FFR would be expected to make a very big difference within individuals. But within the two strategy populations in RIPCORD 2, there was no difference in that distribution. In terms of clinical endpoints, again, there was no significant difference in the uh, distribution of endpoints. And in the hierarchical analysis, there were 50 events in each group, and there was no significant difference. Now, so you looked at the first event. Did you look at time to any event? I mean, did you cut down on... Yeah, there was no significant difference um, in any of those parameters. Um, and we haven't yet got to the stage where we're doing our secondary analysis to work out the distribution of different types of uh, coronary disease and whether this, there was a difference between them. But in the populations... Follow up, Nick, uh, was that one year or...? One, one year, sorry. Year. So, Any excess so, sections in the FFR group? 
Yeah, so the complication rate in the FFR group was just under 2%. So that's 10 patients had a significant pressure-related complication, mainly dissection, out of 548. Um, most of the dissections were treated with PCI, and one of them went to bypass surgery. So there was a complication rate that's about the level you'd expect from previous studies, including the original record. So our conclusion from the study was that if you use a systematic approach and do FFR on all vessels as a diagnostic angiogram stage, it's cost neutral. It doesn't have any effect on quality of life. It doesn't, uh, it's not associated with any change in clinical event rates, but it is associated with a longer procedure with more contrast and more radiation and a higher complication rate. So I think we can conclude fairly comprehensively that this strategy of doing FFR in all the vessels at the diagnostic stage doesn't have an advantage over an angiogram. I think I'd be at pains to point out that this in no way reduces the benefit that's been shown so elegantly in the past, particularly in the FAME study, for how a pressure wire may be valuable. But I think it puts to bed my concept that if you were to do a pressure wire systematically in your patients when you're doing an angiogram, that they would end up having better treatment with lower, with lower event rates. Um, so perhaps the pressure wire is best used in patients who have been considered for REVAS, possibly PCI in particular, in order to try and make sure you get the right vessel and you don't over-treat, which is, I think, what FAME showed so nicely. But it maybe isn't the right tool for routine use just at the diagnostic stage. Another example of how the results of a trial only applied to the population that was studied. And, uh, you know, we should not probably extend the results to another scenario like what you tested here. So you asked an honest question, you had rigorous methods, you got an honest answer, and uh, that's always the way we advance the field. Nick, congratulations. Great work. Uh, really, really excited to hear what you had to say. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to all of you out there for joining us here live from ESC 2021. Thanks, Michael. Thanks.